Back in 1996, uh, the musical Rent debuted and asked a very important question, one that I think many people ask, uh, whether they realize it or not, what is a life worth? In the, in the song Seasons of Love, 525,600 minutes, we also get, of course, a math lesson. But we get that question, how do, how do you measure a year in a life? What, what makes it valuable? What makes it good? What makes it so that it has meaning and purpose? And I think that is a question that, that many, many of us ask. You know, I think that's, I can make assertions, but I think there's uh, evidence to back that up in that we see a lot of anxiety rates rising and have been rising for a while. We see other indicators of mental health are showing us that, that there is difficulty in this world and that people are struggling to make meaning and to make purpose out of what is going on. And even within the church, there is a great amount of stress and anxiety and sometimes not a lot of answer as to how we are to deal with that. And so we struggle with this question of meaning and purpose, and we struggle with how it applies to our life, and we struggle then with what do I do with my life? And I think part of uh, that answer comes to us through our scripture text today. We are in Matthew chapter 25. Last week we were in Matthew 25, uh, 1 through 14, the parable of the ten virgins. And today we're going to be in Matthew 25, verses uh, 31 through 46. We're actually skipping over a parable, and then we are heading to the last uh, story in this, in this section that talks about end times. Now, I asked in, in, uh, in Sunday school what we think of when we think of end times, and I, uh, the answer that I really liked was, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> Because when we start talking about end times, we can start talking, we can start thinking, uh, you know, what does this really have to do with me right now? And isn't there a lot of conjecture about what that's going to be like? And isn't there a lot of, you know, just kind of questions that surround that? But Jesus uses this parable, this, and it's not really a parable, it's a story, in order to illustrate how we're to live our life now. And the point that he makes is that when we follow God, uh, that we, evidence of that can be seen right now. When we follow God, evidence of that can be seen right now, and, and we can be caught uh, reflecting his values. So, Matthew chapter 25, verses uh, 31 through 46, a little bit of a longer passage. Uh, hear God's word as I share it with you. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? 
or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They, will all, they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and didn't help you? He'll reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that you have revealed yourself to us through your word. And that you show us that, that you care for us and that you love us and that you desire to have a relationship for us, with us. Help us during this time to, to see the ways that you illustrate, us, illustrate that through this story and remind us of your goodness and of your grace. Strengthen my words during this time, uh, for mine are empty, just a vapor in the wind. You, O God, you hold the very words of eternal life. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, as I said, Uh, Kind of the main idea of the passage here is that when Christ comes, his followers are found reflecting our values. And and this story is going to teach us three things about that. Uh, One, it's going to teach us the values of Jesus. Two, it's going to teach us the state of our hearts. And three, it's going to teach us the depth of discipleship. So that is the values of Jesus, the state of our hearts, and the depth of discipleship. So how does this teach us about the values of Jesus? Throughout uh, this series on Matthew, we have been talking about um, uh, radical dependence upon God. And, and we have gone through a lot of stories about, show, uh, about how to show radical dependence and to be radically dependent upon God. And very early on in this series, if you go back a few weeks if, and uh, before the, the beginning of the year, and go to a, our discussion on uh, Matthew 5, we come to the Beatitudes, and we talked about that these are the values of the kingdom of God that we are to be living out as radically dependent upon God. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons and daughters of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are you when you are persecuted. A number of values that Jesus gives as as the values that we are to be living out as people, as citizens of his kingdom, as people who are dependent upon God. 
And here, what we have is a parable that shows the living out of those values in a very, very real way. You know, uh, the values that, that Jesus gives, the, when we live in this world, we've talked a number of times, we talked in Sunday school, about the fact that this world very much has a merit-based system. When we are trying to uh, do things in this world, we have a merit-based system. And, and we talk about climbing the corporate ladder. We talk about uh, it's not what you know, it's who you know. We talk about uh, going to good schools and getting good education and, and good experience, making sure we surround ourselves with good influences. And, and all of these things lend themselves to a merit-based system. We don't talk about climbing down the corporate ladder. We don't talk about how to be mediocre. We don't talk uh, uh, about finding the people that just will not get us anywhere in life. And yet, when we come to this parable, Jesus shows his values in action because we can hear, blessed are the merciful, and we can still desire to surround ourselves with people of power and of influence and of good standing who can advance us. Thinking that mercy is actually something that, that happens kind of on the side of this. It's, a, it's an addendum to the way that the world works. But what Jesus wants to show here is that the values of this world and the values of the kingdom of God are, are foundationally incompatible. Some authors have, have called this the upside-down kingdom. When we think about this world, when we're born into this world, the, the way that we understand it is, is just the way it is. We think of things right side up when, when we hire the best and the brightest, when we, when we look to advancement, when we look to... to um, surround ourselves with people that can, yes, be our friends, but also help us along the way. The discussion uh, in uh, leadership circles about the, the difference between real friends and deal friends. When, you're, when anyone is in a leadership position, you have to realize that there are, there are people that surround you because uh, there are that you have influence, you have power, you can make things happen. Whether that's within a church or whether that's within the corporate world or whether in the world politic or wherever you are, if you exercise any form of leadership, even within your family, there are people who are real friends and there are people who are deal friends. And that is that there are, uh, that that's, these people are, are more like allies, common people, deal friends are more like allies, common people who, who, see, who want to be able to do things and they know that you can get them there. The real friends are the ones who don't care about your power, about your status, about your influence in any given area. And the reason that I, I've mentioned about the fact that it's not just corporate leadership, but it's leadership within a family, it's leadership within uh, friend circles, it's leadership within communities, is that we all exercise some form of influence. And so the question is, are we following the values of this world, or do we follow the values that Jesus gives here? In the upside-down kingdom, the people who receive value are even those who have nothing to offer us. 
when, when we think about advancement, when we think about the way we want our life to go, we don't normally think, you know, I would like to find the homeless. I would like to find um, people who need to rely on others to find their daily meal. I'd, I'd like to find those who are, are, who are socially marginalized and socially ostracized. And yet Jesus shows here that these are the people that he values, that these are the people that he has come to save. These are the people that he has come to lift up and to show his grace. Now, earlier in uh, the Gospels, he says, you know, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. His value is on those who can offer nothing to him and to his kingdom. The values of this world notice those who have money, power, status, platform, influence. And we seek to increase those things almost without thinking. And the people in Jesus' story are people who are separated from the rest of society either physically or socially. You know, it's, it, it, and it's not a direct one-to-one correlation. We understand the hungry when we, we understand those who, who can't provide for their basic needs. But it's very interesting because when Jesus starts to talk about those who are in prison, uh, prison systems worked a little bit differently then than, than they do now. Uh, of course, now we think about... Um, uh, uh, we might think, well, yeah, their conditions were a little bit less. They probably didn't have indoor plumbing, you know, stone walls and so on and so forth. But it was more than that. When you were in prison, you were not given three hots and a cot. Your welfare, your, your, your physical well-being was dependent upon your family and friends outside of the prison to take care of. People had to bring you food. People had to bring you blankets to stay warm. People had to bring you whatever medicine or food or whatever it is to take care of you. And so it wasn't just that you were in prison and it was, you know, you were taken care of. You were not only socially ostracized, but you were physically not taken care of as well. And Jesus is saying, those are the people that I value. Those are the people that people of my kingdom value. In Jesus' economy, there's no difference on the value of people. It's, it, we're not judged on economic output. We're not judged on the number of Sunday school classes we have taught or attended. We are not judged by the number of times we have sat behind the soundboard. Sorry, AV folks. We still love your ministry, though. We're not judged by the number of times that we have done a morning devotion and yet remained untransformed. The values of Jesus say that I looked for those who are are downtrodden, despised, those who need to be lifted up, those who the world has forgotten. And so blessed are the merciful because they're going to be shown mercy. The people in this 
in this story are people who have lived out the values of the kingdom of God. And they have so they have drunk so deeply of the values of Jesus' kingdom that they don't even know that they're doing it anymore. Did you catch that? When did we see when I don't remember seeing you anywhere hungry or thirsty, and yet they did it as if it was to the king himself. It was automatic. It wasn't a, a reminder on their phone. It wasn't a, 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 a chore that had to be done, but it was a natural outflowing because they had been so transformed by the kingdom values, but they couldn't but help do these things. And look for those who are hurting, those who are separated, those who are lonely, those who are mistreated, those who are underfed, undernourished, and undercared for. They did it naturally. And so we see the values of, of Jesus, but then we also see then how this can show us the state of our own heart. Because as we see this, and as we realize that the people in this story were doing uh, what they did without thought as to it, we can ask ourselves, what is the default work of my heart? What is the default operation of my mind and of my heart? I love the song Hosanna that the worship team sang. One of the, wor- one of the phrases in that song that, that really catches me is break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I have for your kingdom's cause. It it gives an abandon, a a radical dependence on God that, that says, I want to be so consumed by your life, Jesus, and by who you are, that I want to emulate it in every part of my life. And as we look at this story, we can ask ourselves, what does our heart more reflect? Are my actions more automatically like those who, who, who went and sought out the least and the lost, the disadvantaged and the lonely, the marginalized and the oppressed? Or am I more like the other people in this story who, who didn't even recognize the value of those people? Am I like the, the group of people that said, I, you know, I was merciful, but you know, I still had to get advancement in life. I still had to put food on the table. I, I still want to make sure I had a certain amount of comfort. And these things would have taken away from that. I showed mercy when I could, but that mercy was not the underlying operating system of their life. You know, we, we, I I could go here and ask the question, you know, how many people are Mac PC people, or how many people are um, uh, Windows PC people, how many people are Mac people, but I don't want to cause a riot. (laughs) But here's the thing. When, When you put a program designed for Windows into a Mac, what happens? doesn't work. Its operating system can't recognize it. It just doesn't do anything with that. 
When you, when you take a program that was designed for Mac and put it into a PC, what happens? Nothing. It doesn't work. And so what Jesus is talking about here is that what's the operating system of our heart? When we see these things, are they counterintuitive to us or are they something that flow naturally? And when we evaluate the state of our heart, then which group are we more like? Who do we notice in life? How natural, how reflexive is it to notice those people? That tells us the state of our hearts. So we see the values of Jesus. We see the state of our hearts. And and the last thing I want to highlight is the depth of discipleship that is required here. If you want to uh, change a program in a computer, change the way it behaves. You know, you put a new, you load a new program in, you load a new CD in, and you, you download a new app to your computer, and it, and it does something that you want it to do. But if you want to fundamentally change the way that thing operates, you've got to get into its basic coding. You've got to get into its 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 BIOS, you've got to get into its, its operating system and change the way that it fundamentally understands the way it's supposed to operate. And, and that's the point that Jesus is making here as he talks about this, that we should be so fundamentally changed that discipleship is not simple behavior modification. It's not simply saying, don't do this, do do this. And as long as you're, you're doing these things and not doing these things, all the rest doesn't matter. What it's saying is that we need to be transformed from the, from the depths of our heart so that when we act, the decision-making is already done. So that when we act, our values come through. Because they do that anyway. You know, when we, when we think, uh, when we go to make a decision, we we oftentimes already know what we're going to do. We don't sit there and say, you know, am I going to, uh, am I going to, um, <laughs> am I going to order the chicken or am I going to order the beef when I go to Chipotle? I already know the answer. I'm getting the carnitas anyway. <laughs> We've already filtered those decisions through who we are and what we value and and. and What Jesus is saying is that discipleship actually pushes through to the very depths of our lives where it changes our core. Faith is not an add-on. It's not another app in the phone. It's not another program on the computer. It's not another book on the shelf. It's not just another thing in our lives. But but discipleship, faith in Christ, is something that radically transforms who we are and the way that we function. I use this word discipleship, but I want to make sure that we are on the same page. What is discipleship? It's following Jesus in order to become more like him. It's that simple. Following Jesus in order to become more like him. And likes and follows these days have more to do with consuming content than anything else. 
And so what I'm talking about is an intentional following in order that we might learn from and become like Jesus. Discipleship should transform us in such a way that our actions become an automatic outflow of a Jesus-shaped identity, a Jesus-shaped value system, and Jesus-shaped attitudes. The, The people, again, in this story don't even know that they are acting in a certain way. Lord, when did I see you? I know what you look like, but I didn't see you. Oh, but you did. Oh, but you did. We have to be careful, though. We have to be careful. Because as we look at this story, as we consider it, if we're, if we're not careful, we can look and say, aha, I finally found the recipe. I finally found the form, formula as to what Jesus wants. And we can focus on the actions without being deeply transformed in our lives. And that's where we get the other stories, and we have to be aware of the fact that that there will be some that that say, you know, Lord, I I did this, I gave my money, I I, uh, looked after people who are in need, I threw things in the food bank, Uh, you know, and he'll say, I didn't... I never knew you. Because we can perform but reserve who we are for ourselves. And what Jesus wants is a fully transformed life so that we are not performing but we are acting out of a transformed nature, out of a redeemed nature that reflects the values of the upside-down kingdom. So it reflects the values of a God who emptied himself of his glorious throne in order to dwell with us and give himself up for us. So that when we come to Good Friday and the cross, we can understand that 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 wasn't just a good thing that he did, but that that was our unrighteousness, that was our wickedness, that was our sin that he took on himself so that we might have his righteousness. That's not performance. That is deep transformation. That is deep renewal. That is an entire switch of our identity. And that is what changes the way we operate. That is the way that it changes how we behave. So that when the the day of Christ comes, whether that is that he comes uh, in the flesh, in his glory tomorrow, or we live our lives and we reach the day of Christ having gone to the grave, we are found reflecting his values. We are found reflecting the values of the kingdom. And we know that the state of our heart reflects the values of Jesus and we have allowed that discipleship to happen deep within us. Let's pray. Lord, help us as we consider your words, as we consider a parable that is difficult. We get caught up by these end time things. We get caught up by by 
actions, and we forget that you desire for a deep relationship, a relationship that changes us from the inside out. Help us to see in these words your heart so that we may address the world in need, a world that is deeply lonely, a world that is deeply anxious, a world that is deeply divided. Give us such grace that that we can be your representatives and take care of all those that you have given us in our path. We give you thanks for who you are and what you have done. Amen.